Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to His Word being preached. Uh, those of you who have your Bibles here, yeah, welcome to open uh, with me at Second Samuel chapter 6. Read it for us and pray for us in a moment. just want us to do a little exercise that I've done before, just to... To, to make a point, I want you to hold up your finger in front of you like this. Okay? okay hold it up straight in front of you, uh, um, in my direction. Um, but look at your finger, don't look at me. Focus on your finger. Try and focus as much as possible on your finger. Okay? You're focusing on your finger. How many fingers are, am, am I holding up? Okay? So... I think you get the point. The point is, the more you focus on your finger, the less you're going to see how many fingers I'm holding up. Because the reality is, you can only really focus on one thing at a time. Okay. And um, the primary um, focus of your life, this passage that we're going to read this morning, shows that the primary focus of your life determines the ultimate form of your life. The primary focus of your life determines the ultimate form of your life. What you primarily focus on in life will determine what your life will be like at the end of the day and what your life will look like and what your life will turn out to be at the end of the day. And we see two people representing two different focuses. One is King David, and it's part of a story where he brings the Ark of the Covenant back to, to Jerusalem. Uh, and the other one is his wife, uh, Michal was also Saul's daughter. And um, we see t- uh, basically two, th- this passage portrays two people, actually a married couple, who share the same house, but who don't share the same focus in life. And whose lives turn out very differently. And it's quite surprising, and I think quite um, powerful and uh, uh, and in some ways a bit scary, and in other ways a bit uh, in, uh, quite encouraging as well. So let's let's read Second Samuel six from verse twelve. Uh, it should be up on the screen. I'm reading from the NIV. It says, "Now King now King David was told, the Lord has blessed the house of Obed Edom and everything he has because of the Ark of God." Now what happened was they he started taking back the Ark um, of the Covenant. It was first with the Philistines, and they brought it back to. Um, uh, but, but not all the way into Israel. Um, and it was in the house of, I think, Aminadab or one of those guys for about 20 years. And then David went to fetch it, but he brought it back the same way that the Philistines did on a, on a new cart drawn by oxen, not the way that the law said. Uh, but then uh, one of the guys helping to transport the ark, user touched the ark when the oxen stumbled to steady it, and he got struck down and he died. And, and David became angry and fearful. He said, how can the ark of God, representing the presence of God, ever come to me? He wanted the presence of God, but he was afraid of the presence of God. Now, I, I preached on that a couple of weeks ago, end of um, August, so you can go and listen to that if you want to. But now, he actually came to his senses. He read the law and he realized, no, the Levites need to carry the ark of the covenant. It needs to be brought back the right way. And he also saw in the life of Obed-Edom, where the ark of the covenant was about three months, that God was blessing him because of the Ark of the Covenant and because of the presence of God represented by the Ark of the Covenant in Obed-Edom's house. Obed-Edom and everything he had was blessed. Now blessed, when something is blessed, 
it means it flourishes and it's God's supernatural positive influence on that thing and it, that causes it to incle- increase and flourish. Whereas cursing is the opposite. It's God's uh, it's a supernatural negative influence or even God's neglect which causes something to wither. A, a picture might be you know, a flower that uh, is in the sun and soaks up the rays of the sun and flourishes and grows versus a flower that's placed in complete darkness and withers away. See, God's, God's face and God's favor is like sunshine to us. And we can't actually live without it. So David saw that, and, and God made sure that David heard about this, <laughs> what was happening in the life of Obed-Edom. So it said, So David went down and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord, those who were carrying it, so you can see they moved from transporting it on an ox to having the Levites carry it. So, you know, they, they realized their mistake. Um, when uh, those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, uh, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. David, wearing a linen ephod, which was something the priests wore, danced before the Lord with all his might, while he and the entire house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts um, and the sound of trumpets. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, watched from, the, from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women. And all the people went to their homes. When David returned home to bless his, to bless his house, household, Michal, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, disrobing in the sight of the slave girls of the servants, of of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. David said to Michal, It was before the Lord, who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house, when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes, but by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. And Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. Interesting portion of Scripture, right? And, and you can see the clear contrast between these two people, these two spouses, you know, this married couple. Michal on the one hand, looking out from the window, and David, on the other hand, dancing with all his might before the Ark of the Covenant, before the presence of the Lord. Um, and, you know, it, the focus of their lives was completely different. And we've got to ask ourselves in the light of the Scripture, and I'm going to um, try and unpack it uh, a little bit this morning, who are you living to impress? Who are you trying to impress? All of us are trying to impress someone. All of us are trying to please someone. Who are you primarily trying to please? 
Because your answer to that question will determine what your life will look like at the end of the day. So let's look at, at um, the wrong way to live before the people, like Michal. The right way to live before the Lord, like David. And then what makes the right way possible and powerful. So, first the wrong way. Uh, Michal was primarily, primarily wanted people to be impressed with her. Unlike David, um, when she speaks to David, she doesn't even mention the Lord. She doesn't even mention him because he's not in her mind. He's not front and center and foremost in her mind. She says, how the, you can hear the sarcasm, you know, words sort of dripping with sarcasm, you know, uh, and saying how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, you know, disrobing, you know, exposing himself, you know, as he danced, um, you know, before the slaves, slave girls of, of, of his servants. Uh, and she doesn't even mention the Lord. And then immediately David's answer is, it was before the Lord. And you can see the contrast because in David's mind, the Lord, God, was front and center. He was living primarily before God, not before the people. And he was primarily concerned with God's opinion of him and pleasing God than pleasing the people and impressing people. Whereas Michal was exactly the opposite. She primarily wanted to impress people and wanted people to be impressed with her. And this caused her to want to receive honor from people. And you can see it in the way that she says. I, I find this, this you know, quite um, instructive because if you, if you look at um, what she's referring to, she's referring to a society as she sees it. She says how the king of Israel at the top has distinguished himself before, um, not only before his servants, a second layer below the king, but before the slave girls of his servants. So you can see three distinct layers, classes in society. And you can see how she arranges society in her mind in layers below her who she wants to look up to her and honor her. Can you see that? You know, there's the king, you know, supposed to be all dignified and honored and so on. And then underneath his, his servants who are supposed to honor him. And then under them, they are the slave girls of the servants who are supposed to honor. And um, you can see she is desperate. She is craving honor flowing up from below towards her. She craves it. She desperately needs it. And um, it's interesting to notice what happens and how she responds when she doesn't get it. So because she's, she, she, she's seeking honor, um, as it were, um, from below, she, she's seeking um, to have those who are below her look up to her. And then you have this, the king, the servants, the slave girls. You know, that's the sort of hierarchy. And, and all people who want honor from below, from people, will arrange society, at least in their hearts and minds, in such a way that there are people below them who can look up to them. So that caused it inevitably, and this is true for all people who do this, she looked down on those who she saw as below her, beneath her, in, in classes below her. So she would look down. So, so if we have this 
craving that Michal had of honor from below, it will inevitably cause us to look down on other people. In fact, to in our hearts and minds push them down to be below us. Because the only thing that makes us feel good about ourselves is if there are lots of people below us who look up to us and who honor us. And we're like, oh, you know, oh, he's so great or she's so great. If you find the fulfillment of your need to impress someone or to be loved or to be accepted or to be honored, if you seek it from people, you'll always try to push people down. If not physically, at least in your heart and mind so that they can look up to you and so you can feel better about yourself. So you always end up looking down on, on people. Um, so if you crave honor from below, you'll want many people below you, uh, as many people below you as possible, and you want them as far below you as possible. <laughs> because the honor comes from the, the social distance between you and them. And so you want them, you know, really looking up at you, admiring you, being impressed with you, and giving honor to you. So you want as many people below you as possible, and you want them as far below you as, as possible. Um, and it'll cause you to even despise the people that you associate with, like she despised David. Now this is, David's her husband. She, and it says she despised David in her heart. And the reason why, and it's actually strange because if you go and read, I'm not going to read it now, but if you go and read in 1 Samuel 18, it actually says that Michal was in love with David. And David clearly was in love with her because he went and killed 200 Philistines and you know, brought their foreskins to, to Saul, her father, as sort of the bride price. <laughs> I can see all the, the ladies cringing. <laughs> Thank God we don't live in those ages anymore. Amen. <laughs> you know, where your father-in-law sends you on a mission to go and circumcise, you know. <laughs> His enemies. <laughs> so she clearly did. She really was in love with him. But her love turned to despising. You know, almost like, you know, that change that happens between, you know, where a teenage girl who used to really, you know, care about her father's sort of opinion and, you know, what her, what her parents thought of her. And, and now all of a sudden she just cares what, what her peers, you know, her friends think of her uh, and, and what the young men think of her, you know. And... Um, In her heart, because of her marriage to David and therefore her association with David, and because of the way she saw the world, she lived before people and to impress people and to receive honor from people, in her heart and mind, David existed to make her look good. Honor by association. And when he looked bad in front of the people, it made her look bad in front of the people and she despised him for it. Don't we sometimes subtly do that with one another? Isn't there a, a bit of a Michal spirit and heart inside of all of us sometimes? You're making me look bad <laughs> in front of the people. Um, and you can't allow people to be themselves. You can't allow the people you associate to be themselves, associate with. Because David was just dancing before the Lord with all his might, being himself. You know, disrobing, and, and, and this disrobing this there is, is partially physical. I mean, he, he wore the, the linen ephod, which was a linen robe, but he obviously was dancing so wild, you know, uh, you know, in these simple clothes that, you know, probably more of his legs were showing than she liked. But it's also, <laughs> it's, but it's also, um, it's also in a sense figurative. 
You know, when you disrobe, you expose yourself. You show who you are. And he wasn't afraid to be himself in front of the people. But because of her craving, her lust for honor from people, she couldn't allow those she associated with to be themselves in front of people lest they embarrass her. Can you see the negative effect, the knock-on negative effect this has on the people around us if we have this approach, you know, if we live before the people and seek honor from below? We will be constantly trying to manipulate other people and tell them, don't do that. Don't be yourself. Don't, don't laugh so loud. It's, it's embarrassing, man. You know, have a more sort of feminine, you know, ladylike laugh. You know, this, this screeching, you know, uh, hawk laugh of yours, you know, it's embarrassing, you know. Don't, don't laugh like that, you know. And you suppress the people around you and you manipulate them. And when they do embarrass you, you use sarcasm. Oh, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today in front of the people. Manipulation to try and get people to be in line with what you think is acceptable. So the other problem is, <laughs> ironically, you know, it causes you, this, this seeking honor, living before the people and seeking honor from below, causes you to be anxious the whole time. Because here's the problem, here's the catch. The honor you receive from below, the honor you receive from people that you've pushed down below you and you've placed in your heart below you, will never be enough to fulfill you. Never. It can never fill your heart, can never satisfy you, can never fulfill you. In fact, it's a bottomless pit. And it's a form of idolatry. I just want to read you one scripture um, a bit earlier in, in 1 Samuel 19, verse 13, to show you that that problem of idolatry was already in Michal's heart all along. Um, because wanting to impress the people and living before the people primarily is a form of idolatry. In, in, in 1 Samuel 19, verse 13, it says, when Michal, uh, this is, was when Saul was trying to kill David, and she told David to escape. So he fled um, out of a window, uh, so um, Michal led David down uh, through a window, that's in verse 12, and he fled and escaped. And says, then Michal took an idol and laid it in the bed, covering it with a garment and putting some goat's hair uh, at its head to, you know, in, uh, to make the, the soldiers who were going to come and try and kill David think that it was David lying in the bed, right? But where'd she get the idol? She didn't leave the house. The idol was in the house. She owned an idol. Idolatry was there in her heart all along. So the idolatry that she was committing with this idol, which was all along in her heart, most naturally spilled over into idolatry towards the people that she wanted honor from. Um, and here's the problem. Any form of idolatry this is the problem with because idols will not forgive you if you fail your idols will not forgive you if you fail and they will not fulfill you if you succeed if your idol is work if you fail at work and you get retrenched or demoted or something your idol will not forgive you and you'll be crushed and devastated if your idol is work and you succeed <laughs> in climbing the corporate ladder and making lots of money and being very successful in your work, 
your idol will never fulfill you. You'll get to the top of the ladder and found that the ladder has been leaning against the wrong wall all along. It doesn't fulfill you. And all idols are like that. They will never forgive you if you fail, and they'll never fulfill you if you succeed. And it's the same with people. If we idolize people and their opinions, and we try and impress them primarily, if we fail, they'll never forgive us. If we succeed, they'll never fulfill us. And that's why it's a, it's a trap. The fear of man and living before man is a trap, a deadly trap that we can step in, that Michal stepped into and fell into. And why did she fall into it? Why was it so easy for her to fall into it? Did you notice Michal is mentioned four times in this passage? And every single time, not one of those times is she referred to as the husband, uh, the wife of David. Every single time she's referred to as the daughter of Saul. Do you notice that? Every single time, Saul is either mentioned explicitly or mentioned as her father. And the problem was Saul had exactly this problem. The very same problem. So Michal clearly inherited it from him. I'm just going to read you three scriptures from 1 Samuel 15, verse 17, 24, and 30, uh, which gives you an idea. Samuel said, now this is when... Saul came back from, um, you know, destroying the Amalekites, but he didn't destroy the Amalekites completely as God commanded him, but he took King Agag prisoner and as a trophy back and took the best of the livestock and etc., etc. And then listen to what Samuel says to him. Samuel the prophet said to Saul, Although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed you king over Israel. So he said, at the start, you were small in your own eyes, but now you've become Mr. Big Head, big in your own eyes. And then verse 24 says, And Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the people, and so I gave in to them. I was afraid of the people because I lived primarily before the people to impress the people and to earn their favor and pleasure. Can you see where Michal gets this? She, she inherited it from her father. That's why she's referred to every single time as the daughter of Saul, not the wife of David. Because she was carrying on Saul's legacy of the fear of man, of living before man primarily rather than before the Lord. And, and it's interesting. Saul says, yeah, I have sinned. I have violated the Lord's command. And then he gives a reason because I was afraid of the people, so I gave in to them. But that very thing that caused him to give in to the people actually caused his repentance to be void. Because in verse 30 it says, Saul replied, I have sinned, but please honor me before the elders of my people. And before Israel, come back with me so that I may worship the Lord your God. Even when he goes to worship, he goes in such a way that he will be honored before the people. It's not real repentance. He said, I'm sorry, he's, he's, he's apologizing, but he's not repenting because his heart is not changing. He still wants to be honored by the people. There's no real repentance. Even his repentance was a form of trying to get the pleasure of the people and impress the people. Can you see what a trap it is, the fear of man and living before man rather than before God? Um, and the result of that, if you go, go back to 2 Samuel Chapter 6 of, of Michal's, you know, seeking honor from the people like a father and, and fearing the people like a father. It says um, in verse 18 that David 
after making sacrifices, blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. And then in verse 20, it says, When David returned home to bless his household, Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and she spoke sarcastically to him. In other words, David blessed the people and they received it. When he came home to bless his wife and his household, she couldn't receive it because of her heart and the despising in her heart towards David. And, be, and, and, and living before the people will cause you to miss out on the blessing of God. And in fact, she ended up, it seems from the text, being cursed. She couldn't have children for all her life. So that's the wrong way to live. What's the right way to live? The right way to live is before the Lord, not before the people. David, by contrast, lived before the Lord. He wanted to impress the Lord and receive not honor from below, but honor from above. He didn't crave honor from people, but he honored God and said, if I'm going to be honored, let God honor me. Let God honor me. So he, he said, if, if I'm going to receive honor, let it be honor from God. And, and it's, it's, it's what Jesus said. I, I didn't look up the scripture, but somewhere in, in John 5 or 6, Jesus says, how can you receive honor from the Lord who, honor, who receive honor only from one another? Speaking to the Pharisees. So it's not a problem that only Saul and Michal had. It's a problem the Pharisees had as well in Jesus' day. So that, um, David was willing, and, and notice the contrast here, where, where Michal wanted to exalt herself and lift her up above people so, she, so that honor can flow from below towards her. David was willing to be undignified and even humiliate himself before the people so that he could honor God and therefore receive honor from God. Can you see the opposite? It's completely the opposite. What was in his heart and the focus of his life and, and who he was living before and who he was living for caused him to live in a completely different way. Where Michal had pride and therefore despising and sarcasm and, 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 and looking down, looking down your nose at people was all the stuff that came out of her heart. What the heart is full of, the mouth overflows with, and the life overflows with. Um, David had the opposite. Because he wanted honor from above, he humbled himself. If you want honor from below, you must lift yourself up as high as possible so that there are many as possible people who can, receive, who can send honor up towards you. But if you want to receive honor from below, you want to get as low as possible. <laughs> if you want to receive honor from above, from God, you want to get as low as possible to receive as much honor from God as possible. For God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Um, so he was willing to be undignified and, and humiliate himself before the people in order to live before the Lord. Um, instead of looking down on, uh, on those below him, he looked up to the one above him. Because that's where the focus of his life was. That, that was who he was living for. He saw himself, um, in fact, it's, it's very interesting. He says to, to Michal, by, but by these slave girls whom you so despise and, and look down upon, by them I will be held in honor. So he's willing to make himself equal and dance, you know, like a slave girl before the Lord with the slave girls and receive their humble honor. And he said, I, I, don't, I don't crave their honor. I don't need their honor. But because I honor the Lord, they will honor me. I will be held in honor by them. And you see the, the big difference uh, with David. Um, he, he didn't see others as existing to bring him honor. And therefore, he could be himself before them. And metaphorically disrobe before him. And dance with all his might. Even, 
even if that made, made him look a bit silly. And even if he knew there were, people who, who, there were people who would despise him for it, he could be himself and dance with all his might. He could, he could expose himself because he wasn't trying to impress the people. And he knew the one that he was trying to impress already knew everything about him. Even the things that weren't so impressive. God knows everything. And if you live before God, you will be metaphorically willing to disrobe yourself. Be yourself because you, already, you know that the one that you're living before already knows you. He sees you inside out. He sees you right down to the depths of your heart. The good, the bad, and the ugly. There's no hiding from him. There's nothing you can hide from him. So there's no use trying. So he could therefore be himself and disrobe, um, in a sense, metaphorically, before people and dance with all his might. And I want to ask you, can you do that? I want to ask myself, can I do that? Can I really be myself in front of people? Am I that confident in the Lord? You see, here's the thing. If, if you know you have the pleasure and the favor of the one who is above you, you will not fear the displeasure of those who are around you. It'll make you psychologically and relationally so strong, you'll be able to really be yourself and dance with all your might before the Lord. I, I always think about, uh, who is that lady in the New Testament? Uh, uh, Mary Magdalene, who anointed Jesus' feet. She had a bit of that. She, I mean, the, the disciples were all grumbling and accusing and criticizing her, but she was honoring the Lord. And she didn't care what the disciples or the Pharisees, Simon the Pharisee or whoever thought of her, the high and mighty people, what they thought of her. She was honoring the Lord and she, because she was living before the Lord like David was. She had the heart of David. She had the heart of David. And therefore, he could be, David could be, because he was living before the Lord, he could be content because only honor from above will ever be enough. Only honor from above, from God, will ever really satisfy your heart. No matter how many people who you've placed below you honor you, it'll never satisfy you, it will never fulfill you, it will never make your heart content. And we see this all the time in the media, in Hollywood. Don't we? I mean, we, we, you see these, these world-famous singers and actors and actresses and stuff, and they're so desperate for attention and for honor and for love from people, it's never enough. It's never enough. I mean, someone like Madonna, who is probably the most famous, one of the most famous um, superstars of the last few decades, she actually admitted that in an interview. She says, you know, I do something great and impressive, and I feel good about myself, and I feel like I'm an interesting person who deserves, you know, to be honored and loved and so on, but it only lasts for a while, and then I feel uninteresting and unloved again, and then I have to start all over working, working, working to try and impress the people who will then acclaim me, will, will then sing my praises, will honor me. It's never enough. I mean, if someone like Madonna, who has been loved and um, you know, uh, admired by so many, if, if what she has received is not enough, it just tells you, you need a supernatural honor that comes from above to fill that hole in your heart. You know, a human, you know, mortal honor that comes from below can never fill your heart. You'll always be discontent. 
And then you can only bless those you don't crave honor from. You can only bless those. That's, what, that's why David could bless the people. Because he didn't crave honor from them. He didn't lust for honor from them. And therefore he could bless them and serve them. Even though he was the king. He could go down and be like a servant. And dance with all his might before the Lord and before them. <clears throat> and bless them. I heard a story of, of Charles Finney. He was a famous evangelist in the 1800s whom God used mightily in the, in the Second Great Awakening in America. And the story is told of, of uh, in those days, you know, in the, in the, in the square of, of a village or a town, you could go and stand on a soapbox or something and start, you know, preaching. You could either, you know, talk about politics or you could, you know, preach a sermon or whatever. So um, he went to this marketplace, you know, when, when all the people were there doing their, their business and so on. He got onto the soapbox and he started preaching at them. But he, but, he, he, but he closed his eyes and he was preaching, you know, and his friends were there, you know, in the crowd sort of praying. But the people started jeering at him because, you know, he was preaching the gospel and telling them, you know, that they need forgiveness and, and, you know, that they need to be made right with God. And so people started jeering at him and eventually they started throwing, you know, all kinds of rotten fruit and vegetables and tomatoes and all kinds of stuff at him, you know. And, and he just kept his eyes closed and he kept preaching, but, but he was shaking, you know. His knees were, were shaking like this, you know. <laughs> and his friends were, were praying and interceding, you know, but they could see he was really afraid. And when, they, when he was done preaching, you know, and, and the whole thing had sort of subsided, his friends came up to him and said, my goodness, you know, Charles, you, you were really shaking, you know. Um, you, you were really afraid of the people. And he said, what people? <laughs> he wasn't even aware of the people. He was shaking in the fear of God, not in the fear of man. And hundreds of thousands of people got led to the Lord through his ministry in the Second Great Awakening. Because like David, he lived before the Lord. And not before the people. He lived. His main focus, remember? Finger? His primary focus was the Lord, not the people. Another example is um, Brother Lawrence. He's one of my favorite characters in, in um, church history. He was, a, I think, a French... French um, um, he lived in a French monastery. I think he was a cook in a French monastery. He got saved, uh, I think, from very, uh, you know, quite uh, affluent, you know, you know, rich sort of family. Got saved and then became, you know, became a cook in a monastery. And um, he he wrote a little book, still available today, three hundred years after he wrote it. It's still being read. It's called the Practice of the Presence of God. And the whole idea of that book, the the main idea was uh, was that you live before the Lord. That you live with a constant awareness of God's presence and God's gaze upon you. And you live in such a way to please the Lord, not to try and please people. You live with an awareness of God's favor, God's love, God's presence. Rather than being more aware of the people and, and, and not aware of God at all. And it became known, as time went on, that people who ate the food that Brother Lawrence cooked while practicing the presence of God, while that he cooked before the Lord, if I can put it that way, got healed. And people started streaming in from all over France to eat the food that Brother Lawrence cooked before the Lord while he practiced the presence of God. And people got healed. Can you see, when you don't seek the honor of people, you can really bless people. When you don't, you're not constantly trying to impress people, then you can really bless people, like David did. 
Now, what makes uh, the right way of living before the Lord so what makes it possible and what makes it powerful? Um, think about David. He lived before the Lord. In fact, that phrase, go and look in the text that we read, Second uh, Samuel 6, verse 12 to 23, that phrase, before the Lord, is mentioned five times. He danced before the Lord with all his might. He, he, um, he sacrificed before the Lord. He says to Michal, it was before the Lord that I did it. And I will celebrate before the Lord. So he repeats it all the time, before the Lord. But, but how could he be confident of, be, of impressing God, if I can call it that, of having God's favor, of receiving honor from God before the Lord? Because remember, this is the very self-same David who a few chapters later would do all that nonsense with Bathsheba. Huh? It, it seems like there's a bit of a rock and a hard place here. Because the reality is we're not much different from old David, right? Even when we do have a heart and a desire to live before the Lord, we don't always live well before the Lord. I mean, he committed adultery. And then, to add insult to injury and you know, even more serious sin to his already serious sin, he didn't only commit adultery, he tried to cover it up. And now all of a sudden he was living before the people and trying to hide from the people what he had done and put his best foot forward. And he even had Bathsheba's husband assassinated. That's bad. I mean, at the end of this book in 2 Samuel, he has, he's fighting men counted because he's trying to see how many fighting men, soldiers he has, how strong his military might in the physical is. He's not trusting in the Lord so much anymore. He's now trusting in his army and trying to impress the people with the size of his army. And the judgment of God comes on Israel, and 70,000 Israelites die in the plague. How can a man like that have any confidence of receiving honor from above, of having the favor of a, of a holy, perfect God upon him? It seems like it's a rock and a hard place. Either, you know, you live for the... F- favor and uh, to impress the people, which is a trap, as we saw with Michal, or you live to, have the, to impress and have the favor of God, but my goodness, who can be good enough to receive his favor? I mean, who of us have not broken the Ten Commandments? Who of us have not lied or stolen? Who of us have always honored our father and mother? Who of us have always worshipped God and lived for, for his glory alone? All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Seems like we're between a rock and a hard place. <laughs> what confidence could David have? Well, a few things. In verse 21, it says, he says to Michal, It was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father and his household. He chose me. He chose me, not because I deserved it. Not because I was so impressive. I was the youngest in my family. I was a little, the runt of the litter. I was a little shepherd boy, but he chose me. Not not because I chose him, but because he chose me. That's how I can have that confidence. Despite the fact that I'm a sinner. It's not like David became a sinner when he committed adultery with Bathsheba. It's not like he became a sinner when he murdered her husband. It's not like he became a sinner when he counted his troops. He says in Psalm 51, 
where he repents of what he did with Bathsheba. I was born in iniquity. I've been a sinner all along. And yet, despite the fact that I was a sinner all along, God chose me. By his grace, he chose me. Now, what basis on earth could a holy God have to choose a sinner like David, or for that matter, like me? How dare he? How can he be called holy if he does that? Well, <laughs> we look at the last verse. I'm going to try and unpack this. We look at the last verse, verse 23. It says, Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. And we look at that and we say, whoa, that's a bit harsh. Eesh, you know? <laughs> that's really a bit harsh, you know? Poor lady. She was David's first wife. She had no children until the day of her death. No, actually, if you look at it carefully, it's God's grace. If she inherited that fear of man, living before man, focus and attitude from her father Saul, her children would have inherited it from her. And notice, she was David's first wife. It's not only grace to, you know, possible children would have been born from her. It's grace to us. Because ultimately it would be the son of David who would save the world. Jesus was the son, the true and great son of David. But he was not the son of Saul. Because he was not the son of Michal. And that line of fear of man, God in his grace discontinued and excluded that from the line of the Messiah so that only the line of living before the Lord and pleasing the Lord and living for honor from above from God would be continued and would eventually lead to Jesus. And Jesus is the ultimate, the true and greater David. Just look at, at what the text says. It says um, that David, who was the king, was also a prophet, speaking on behalf of the Lord, and a priest. He wore the linen ephod. Well, Jesus, the, the true and greater David, was also a king, prophet, and priest. He didn't only, like David says, David sacrificed before the Lord. And, and that's part of how God made it possible for David to make atonement for all his grievous sins which he committed, for all the blood that he shed. To make sacrifices. Well, Jesus, the son of David, didn't only make sacrifices before the Lord. Before the Lord. He sacrificed himself before the Lord. He became the sacrifice. He was a priest and the sacrifice. He wasn't only despised by a wife. He was despised by the world. When they shook their heads at him and said, he saved others. Let us see whether he can save himself. How the king of Israel, because that was written above his cross. Remember the crown, thorn of crowns on his head? How the king of Israel has distinguished himself this day, being not partially disrobed, but completely disrobed before slaves, Pharisees, everyone, to hang completely naked on the cross. He was willing to be completely undignified and completely humiliated before the people so that those very people could have favor before the Lord. Us, those very people, so that we can have favor before the Lord. And um, where David wore a linen ephod, 
it says the high priest had a special ephod. And I think this is beautiful. Which he wore with a plate. And on that plate were 12 different precious stones. With the names of the tribes of Israel inscribed on them. And when he came into the presence of God, when he came before the Lord to bring the sacrifices on Yom Kippur, to make atonement, he carried the people of Israel on his heart before the Lord. Well, Jesus didn't only go into the physical Holy of Holies of the tabernacle or temple. He went up into heaven, into the spiritual Holy of Holies, of which the physical was just a copy. And he was carrying us as the high priest with the ephod, with the stones, with our names engraved on them into the very presence of the Lord, before the Lord. And I like to imagine that he was dancing as he did that, rejoicing that he could carry us, unworthy though we were, into the presence of his Father to receive favor and honor from him, the favor and honor that only Jesus deserved, we received, because he was willing to be undignified and humiliated and despised. How can you not love a Savior like that? How can you not live for a Savior like that? How can you say, if He was willing to go through that for me, how can I not focus my life on Him and Him alone? Who else do I want to impress? Who's, who else's love means anything compared to His? I mean, come on, why why are we so desperate to live before people? And so often, we end up being a Mikal church who despise in our hearts a Davidic Messiah because He in weakness saved us. Let's not be a Mikal church. Let's be a, a church like David. He says, before the Lord. For Him. Not before the people. I, I, I don't care about honor from below. I want honor from above. I don't care what people think of me. I care what God thinks of me. I don't fear people. I fear God. I don't live for people. I live for God. But because I live for God, I can bless people like I have been blessed. I can love people like I have been loved. I can be not only like David. I can be like the son of David. I can be like Jesus. And even when I fail to be like Jesus... His grace for me, and I get treated like Jesus. Isn't the gospel amazing? Isn't God amazing? I want to hold up before you these two ways of living before the people or before the Lord. What is the focus of your life? What do you want the focus of your life to be? The, the, the primary focus of your life will determine the ultimate form of your life. Do you want to be a barren Michal who lived before the people? Or do you want to be a dancing David who lived before the Lord and from whose line came the Messiah, Jesus Christ? And who is still considered the greatest king of Israel, even though he was a sinner, just like you and me. Let's stand.
I'm going to ask the ushers to please hand out the elements of the communion. And as we, as we enjoy the communion together, let us remember what our Jesus, our dancing David, did for us before the Lord. See, when Jesus died, he didn't die primarily for the people. Yes, in a sense, he died for us. But primarily died for the Lord, for, for his Father. So his Father was the one <laughs> who wanted desperately to love sinful people. But in his holiness, he couldn't. See, when we were saved, we were saved by God. We were saved for God, but we were also saved from God. Our danger was not from the devil. It wasn't the devil who was going to judge us. It wasn't the devil who was going to throw us in hell. God is the judge. God saved us from himself, by himself, and for himself. And this cup and the broken bread is the symbol of how far our Savior was willing to go to love us, to make us His own, to purchase for us favor from above, favor from His Father. And I, I just want us, as we, as we take the bread and the cup, I want us to, to pray two things. Just, um, I just want us to pray two things. The first thing I want you to pray is a scripture that says, if he died for us, we can live for him. So I want you to take the bread. And um, does anyone have bread? Okay, we're still waiting for the bread to be, to be handed out. I, I always find it very um, prophetically relevant and powerful that, um, I mean, we have this tradition, this is matzos, which is unleavened bread. Um, leaven is often a picture of sin. And obviously unleavened bread represents something that is without sin. And Jesus was the only sacrifice that was without sin. And it, it's, it's so telling to me that even today, Jews who don't accept Jesus have a picture in their Passover with the matzos of Jesus, the only unleavened bread. But if you look at it, you'll see that it's pierced. It has holes in it, just like Jesus was pierced. It's bruised. It has these brown and black blotches on it, just like Jesus was bruised. And it's broken, just like Jesus was broken. Look at this piece of matzos as representing Jesus' body and see how much he loves you. This is how far he was willing to go to love you. This is how far God was willing to go to forgive you. Can you see how much he loves you? Now I want you to taste it. 
Let's eat together. Thank you, Jesus, that you loved us this much. We receive your love. And Jesus, we thank you for this cup, which is the new covenant in your blood. Lord, so often, even though we want to be like David, even like David himself, Lord, did with Bathsheba, we often fall into the trap of not constantly living before you, but sometimes living before the people and caring more about what people think. Trying to always put our best foot forward, impress people. We do it with social media. We do it in our conversations. But we thank you for your blood which cleanses us, even though sometimes we have Michal hearts instead of David hearts, that you cleanse us from it. And we pray, Lord, that you'll not only forgive us our sins, but we ask you in Jesus' name to please cleanse us from all unrighteousness, from every bit of man-fearing in our hearts. Please cleanse us in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's drink together. I want to give you an opportunity if, um, if you need to respond to the gospel I want you to, to come forward now um, if you're not a believer or you're not sure if you're a believer and you want to, to respond to the gospel the first time you're welcome to come forward I'd love to pray with you um, this grace which was for David and which is for me is also for, for you and it's only in Jesus Christ that you can be chosen. But even if you're a believer and you still discern a bit of a mikal heart in yourself, a heart that fears man and that yearns and craves and lusts for the honor of man, if you see that in yourself, yourself, I also want you to come forward. And I'm asking you to come forward on purpose because I want you to do it in front of people like David danced in front of people. The only way to overcome that fear of man is to do it before man like David did. So come forward if the Holy Spirit has in any way spoken to your heart and revealed some circumcision that needs to happen in your heart, some fear of man that needs to be cut away. Just come forward and, and bring it before the Lord. Just come and stand here before the Lord. You're not coming to stand before me. You're coming to stand before the Lord. I just want you to in your own words just in your own words just close your eyes and just confess what's in your heart just confess your sin to the Lord he already knows about it in any case just confess it before him honestly that when you've confessed the fear of man in your heart I just want you to in a gesture of both humbling and of worship just 
I mean, whatever the Lord lays on your heart. If you want to kneel before the Lord, you can do that. If you just want to lift up your hands before the Lord, but just some other gesture that just shows the Lord that, you, that you're worshiping Him and you're humbling yourself before Him. And then just say, Lord, I humble myself before you. And I, I'm from now I'm going to live with my life focused on you. I'm going to live before the Lord, not before the people. I'm going to live before the one who is above me, not before the many who are below me. Just in your own words. Just feel the Lord is, is wanting to give us a very loving warning this morning and I'm I'm closing with this it is so so easy for us to fall into this trap of living before people I mean right now and in fact during this whole service I was pretty tempted to preach well to impress you can you believe that to preach a sermon on living before the Lord before people (laughs) that temptation is real and even when we worship like we're doing now, the temptation can sometimes be there to, to worship, to impress people rather than the Lord. And I just feel the Lord wants to give us a, a very loving but a very stern warning. He, he wants to do amazing things in our midst. He is doing amazing things in our midst and He's going to do a lot more. But if we live before people to impress people, the good things that He does amongst us will not benefit us, it will not bless us. Just like Mikol, we will be unable to receive his blessing. So let's live before him and let's constantly check our hearts. And yes, we will slip away and we will sometimes fall into the trap of living before people. But let us then repent before the Lord and continue living for him. Thanks for listening to this message from Shafa Johannesburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.jobo.